Hey, come on, on this Memorial Day weekend, can we just honor all of those who have gone before us, those who paid the ultimate cost with their lives to preserve our freedom. We're able to be here and worship today because of so many who have gone before us, and we just want to honor them today on this Memorial Day weekend. So um, we're going to go ahead and jump into the next part of the service, and today we're doing something a little bit differently. We're doing something called Six and Six. And so what we've got is six different speakers, and they're going to talk to you for six minutes apiece on a topic that was given to them. And we've been in the book of Galatians. That's, we've, been, we've been doing a series on the book of Galatians. And last week I told you that today we were going to take a deeper dive into the fruits of the Spirit, and that's exactly what we're going to do. So each one of them is going to talk about a different piece from the fruits of the Spirit. And starting us off is going to be my lovely, beautiful wife, Danielle, and she's going to be talking about love. And then Tim Maldonado talking to us about joy. Courtney talking to us about peace and patience. And then Eric Rodriguez is going to be talking about kindness and goodness Tabitha Matthews, faithfulness, and then Miss Robin Reed talking to us about gentleness and self-control. And so they've been working really hard. They've been studying. They've been preparing. They've been praying, listening to God, and they've been practicing a lot for this day. And it takes a lot of courage to get up here and speak. And so I just, you guys just lean in and listen, take down notes as they're speaking, um, because they have a word from God to share with you. And so uh, we're going to go ahead and we're going to jump right in, and Danielle is going to start us off. Good morning. You know, one of my favorite things about City Hope Church is how diverse the background is of everybody here. Uh, A lot of us come from different church backgrounds, and I'm sure some of you guys like me grew up singing a lot of old hymns in church too. Um, I remember singing so many old hymns in church that my brother and I would get excited to sing a song as New is one from the early 1900s, but really some of those old songs never seemed to get old because they're just so good, and one of my favorites was one that was called The Greatest Command, Um, and it's based off of the chapter of 1 John 4, and one of the verses of the song says, love one another for love is of God. He who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love, God is love. Now, according to that song in 1 John 4, if we aren't loving others, then we don't even know God. And that's the first part of our vision here at City Hope. So then that makes this topic of love important and urgent. And personally, it makes me want to make sure I know the answer to the question, how do I love others? In John 13, 34, Jesus tells his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, loving others was actually not a new command. In fact, we see the command to love your neighbor as yourself all the way back in the book of Leviticus, one of the first books of the Bible. But we also see rules and commands in Leviticus like the eye for an eye principle. So really the command was to love your neighbor as yourself until they wrong you and then you pay them back for what, you, what they did. So up until Jesus, the command, so until Jesus gave us this new command, this new part of his command was to not just to love one another, but to love one another as he had loved them. So then the question becomes not just how do I love another, but how do I love others like Jesus did? 
Early in this chapter of John 13, not long before Jesus gave his disciples this new command, we see one example that answers this question. Jesus gives us this beautiful example of his love as he chooses to wash his disciples' feet. They're dirty, sweaty, smelly feet. Even the feet of Judas, who he knew would go on to betray him and turn him over to the Romans to be crucified. Even Peter, who he knew was about to deny even knowing him three different times. Jesus willingly chose this task that belonged to the lowliest of servants, and he chose to do it for all of his disciples. So loving others the way Jesus loves means serving others unconditionally. Another place in scripture where we can see Jesus's mindset about love is John 21, 15 through 17. In this passage, Jesus asks Peter three different times if he loves him, and Peter responds each time that he does love him, and Jesus in response tells him to feed his sheep. And this passage of scriptures is actually a little bit more complicated than we even realize because in English, we only have one word for the term love, which is honestly crazy when you think about it, Because we use love in a crazy range of ways. Like, I love french fries, and I also love my husband. And I feel like we really should have more than one word to describe those two very different types of love. But the Greeks did have multiple words for the term love. And in fact, Jesus and Peter were each using a different word for the term love in John 21. Jesus is using the term agape, which was defined as a love that is unconcerned with the self and concerned with the good of another. It's not about feelings or emotions, but it requires faithfulness, commitment, and sacrifice without expecting anything in return. Peter, on the other hand, was using the term filio, which could be compared to friendship or brotherly love. The kind of love that is based on emotions and having a relationship with someone and feelings being reciprocated. You see, Peter was still stuck in the Old Testament mindset of love. The kind of love that you're happy to mutually return, but aren't willing to as soon as somebody wrongs you or does not return that love. That eye for an eye mindset. And in this chapter, Jesus is challenging Peter about his mindset on love because in order for Peter to become the leader that he did, in order for Peter to feed Jesus' sheep and for him to become a pastor of this new church, he had to adopt that agape love mindset, the kind of love that is a matter of choice rather than emotions, the kind of love that can be given to someone who might not deserve it or return it. And this kind of love might not seem fair. And you know what? It's not, but honestly, I'm so thankful that it's not because if Jesus had left us with the fair filio kind of love instead of the agape love, then he would not have died for us while we were still sinners. Without his agape love, we would not have been set free from our sins and the chains of our past. Agape love might not be fair, and it might not always feel good to give, but agape love is what saves us. Agape love is what sets us free. Agape love is what heals. And 
If loving with this kind of love, this unconditional, sacrificial love, is how I truly come to know God, then I'm all in. Amen. Good job. Great, babe. I'm all in. How y'all doing this morning, City Hope? No, come on now. How y'all doing this morning? There we go. Let's get excited. We are in the house of God, and I thank God that I'm here. I want to give thanks to my God for the honor and glory to be here this morning, and for City Hope, for Pastor Caleb, Pastor Ben, and for the church, and for this great opportunity. Pastor, ben, or Pastor Caleb gave me the big three-letter word, joy, okay? And I said, I can speak, I can speak on joy. But before I go on, there's a few things I want to recognize or I want to um, talk about real quick is, is the word, there's a word happiness and we're talking about joy. Uh, I had said that me and my son, we love the 10-piece nugget at McDonald's with the buffalo sauce. Okay, anybody else? Don't look at my, I got my jacket on to hide that area, but <laughs> I love it. Okay, that brings me happiness, Okay. Um, some of you young people, students, coaches, you know, I'm a coach. If you see me on the field, forgive me. But, um, you know, some of y'all laughing, but I'm excited when I'm on the soccer field. I coach. And, but if you, if you scored a winning goal, you know, you've, you've won the game for your team, you've won championships, you know, we flex, we yell, we take off our shirt, we take off our jackets. I've done that one time. I've actually uh, done a cartwheel after we scored a goal to break the tie. Excuse me. But uh, we're going to move on, and, and I just want to talk to you real quick about what the Bible talks about joy and how we should su- sustain it um, in, in our life. But the Bible teaches us the joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen. And that's in Nehemiah verse eight and ten, chapter 8, verse 10. Joy is rooted. I got two points for you if you want to write this down. Joy is rooted in who God is. The source of all joy is Jesus. Amen. That's God's plan from the beginning, allowing us to navigate through difficult situations when we don't feel happy while sustaining our joy. The word of God gives us many scriptures to encourage us to rejoice in the blessings of our life and give glory to God in all things. Can I get amen? In all things. Remember, all things is very important. I have three scriptures that I want to read to you this morning. Uh, you want to write these down now? Romans chapter 15, verse 13. My second one is James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. And my last one is Psalms 30, verse 5. Amen. In Romans 15, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I wrote this down. True joy can be obtained in the heartfelt gratitude of God's love, mercy, and grace. Um, I'm not getting any older, younger. I messed up again. But as I get older, I look back in my life, and I think about many opportunities that I have that in life growing up in my recent years, there were definitely some opportunities to make myself better, man, a father, and a husband. But I thank God because of his grace on me that he knew where I needed to be. For all for his glory. In my second scripture in James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, this one's very important. <clears throat> Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Amen. 
In another version, it said, consider it all joy. It's very important. Listen to this part. Our future glory awaits us when we face our trials and sufferings with joy. In Jesus, we have eternal life, access to our Father, and atonement for our sins. We share in his holiness and righteousness, but also in the trials that bring sufferings, okay? Uh, there was a moment in my life, in my recent years, in my marriage, that the enemy attacked my marriage, attacked my family, and tried to split us up. And I, I just thank God because, first and foremost, my parents raised me in church. And young people, students, young adults come to church. Church is important, not just the building, but just in general because you have so many leaders. And that's why I give thanks to the church for City Hope for that I was able to go to God in those moments, and I was able to, to sustain the joy and peace of God in my life, in my heart. Amen? And I thank God very much for that. And the last one, in the book of Psalms, verse 30, verse, chapter 30, verse 5, it says, For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. The way I remember this verse is by joy comes in the morning. Amen? Amen? Is that right? The mercies of God are new every morning, which cause joy and call for thankfulness. And especially, it is a time of joy after weeping and darkness when the sun of righteousness arises with healing in his wings as it will be in the tomb. To perfection in the resurrection morn when the dead in Christ will rise and be like to him. Amen. And reign with him forevermore. I want to read this last scripture before I leave, before I dismiss. And this one's very important. Although the scriptures are very important. Amen. First Peter chapter 1 verse 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now... You believe in him or you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen. We love you, City Hope Church. Love you, church. Good morning. Um, I am here today to talk to you guys about peace and patience. And um, I have to be completely honest and transparent that when Pastor Caleb called and asked me to speak on these two topics, I laughed ridiculously hard, like it was the loudest laugh I think I've ever laughed in my entire life. Um, the second I told my husband and my kids that I was speaking on patient, patient, peace and patience, they also <laughs> laughed ridiculously hard. Um, but what better thing for me to have the honor to speak to you about than the thing that I have to actively choose the most in my life? Um, you see, I recently took a Gallup's Strengths Finder test. That is like a... Anyway, um, and my number one trait from that test is an activator. I'm also an Enneagram 8, which if you're into the Enneagram at all, um, you know that that is in the gut triad. So basically, God created me to lead from my gut. And I often, if I'm not careful, can lead from my own human ego instead of the Holy Spirit inside of me. So obviously, 
I'm not super qualified to speak to you on the worldly view of peace and patience. But what the world says about peace and patience is completely different than what God has to say about it. So the world says that peace is simply the freedom from disturbance. Maybe we don't have war. Maybe we're not in an argument. Maybe things are just good. But that's the only time that we can ever have peace if we're going with what the world has to say about it. But the Bible encourages us that God's peace can stand guard over our thoughts and feelings at all times when we are in relationship with him. Peace is something that we can activate in our lives because of his great love and mercy for us. John 14, 27 says, I leave you peace. I give you peace in a different way than the world does. So don't be troubled and don't be afraid. The world tells us that patience is simply the capacity to accept, tolerate, or just delay trouble or suffering without being angry or upset. Basically, you're just grinning and bearing it, and you have no motive behind it. But the Bible tells us that patience is a choice for us to make when we are living in relationship with, with him because we trust that his promises will come true. Romans 12, 12 says, be happy because of the hope that you have. Be patient when you have troubles. Pray all the time. Galatians 6, 9 says, we must not get tired of doing good. We will receive our harvest of eternal life at the right time. We must not give up. Psalm 37, 7, be patient and wait on the Lord. You know, the truth is, I don't like waiting. Anybody else like waiting? Like I want it and I want it like yesterday. Not like now, but like yesterday. We live in a world where both peace and patience are seen as weaknesses. We're taught to chase the world, to go after what is ours, to stronghold that next thing. But the truth is that's going to put us in a cycle of shame and wanting, we're going to want more and more and more, and we're not going to have peace in our lives because that's not what God tells us to do. In a season of waiting, y'all, it can be so hard to have peace and patience. It can be really hard to trust. Um, I hope it's okay that I get real personal, real quick, real fast. I grew up with a very hard understanding of God. My father went, left when I was 18 months old, and he was an alcoholic and a drug addict. And he was in and out of my life through periodic times in my life. I grew up in church, and everything I ever heard was that God the Father was like your father on earth. And I was like, well, that doesn't, it didn't match to me. So I truly didn't understand it, and I couldn't grasp it. But I waited, and I prayed, and I had hope that one day I would fully understand who he was for me. My junior year at Baylor, I met my now husband, James, and I can remember we were starting to kind of get pretty serious in our relationship, and it was impressed on me that I needed to share all the things that I had ever done in my life at his feet. He really needed to know what he was getting into because that list, y'all, was, it was pretty long at that point, and I remember starting to kind of chip away at the list and things that I thought he needed to know. And halfway through, I will literally never forget this because it was such a pivotal time in my life. He stopped me and he said, you know what? I don't need to know anymore because that girl yesterday 
is not the girl that's standing here in front of me right now. And I love you for who you are right now. And you know what happened for me? I was fully able to activate the peace of the Father in that instant. And my life has never been the same. 20 years of praying and hoping and waiting, he gave it to me. Y'all, his promises always come true. So I want to leave you with just a quick final thought. I'm over time. But there's going to be years in your life that are simply going to ask questions. Then there's going to be years in your life that leave an- that answer those questions. And you have to live through both to fully understand what a gift each and every day is. And when you do live both and you start to actively choose to embrace the peace and the patience that God has for you, you will carry his peace and you will carry his patience. And life, y'all, it will be so good. Thank you so much. Good morning, church. I get to talk to you about two different fruits of the spirit, which is kindness and goodness, but actually they're pretty much tied together. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. If we start, we're going to start talking about kindness first. So if you look up kindness on the dictionary, it states that it's the quality of being friendly, generous, and considerate. You guys got to give, give it up for me because that took a lot for me to say those words. <laughs> I had to practice. But uh, now... For us believers, that also means that the kindness reveals the love of God in our hearts and also the character of Christ in our lives. When we read Matthew 25 verses 31 to 46, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but it talks about how the kingdom of God is ready for those who feed the hungry, the ones that provide water to the thirsty, the ones that get to know new people, the ones that get clothes for those that do not have it, and also for those the ones that take care of the sick. Now, if you notice all these items, it's pretty much talking about noticing what other people need. Taking care of other people. Being kind to other people. It's not talking about what I want to do, but it's actually looking at other people, what they need to do. Now, if you feel that this is kind of hard, if you can't see what other people need, maybe we need to look a little deeper into our heart. Because we need to maybe fix our relationship with God. Because remember... That the kind acts that I do do not make me kind. All right? It's the other way around. I do kind acts because I've been made new by Christ. I am kind because I am trying to be Christ-like. So I need you to remember this because we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Now, we are trying to be Christ-like. Now, let's talk about goodness, okay? Now, if you look up goodness in the dictionary, it says that it's the quality of being morally good. And I love this because then I look up what is morally good. And then he says morally good means to be in compliance with God's laws and principles. I just love that. I don't know why. But when you think of goodness, what comes to your mind? The good things that you do, the good deeds, the good actions. Does that determine if you're good or not? Well, there's a little more to goodness than what we do. What this means is that goodness includes staying away from anything that could be seen as evil. So we need to live a life that produces good examples and that it shows the goodness of God in our lives. Now, if you look at Ephesians 2.10, you might ask, well, why is this so important? I'm going to tell you. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's handiwork and we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. 
which God prepared in advance for us. Now, this is important that we are created because we are created in the image of God and he created us to do good things. Now, what that means is one thing that we need to understand that the standard for goodness is God. It's not Pastor Ben, it's not Pastor Caleb, it's not Steve, but we need to compare everything to God. Now, Mark 10, 18 says, why do you call me good? And Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Now, you want to tell, if you want to tell yourself or compare yourself and say, am I good or am I not good? You don't need to compare yourself to anybody but God because he is the only one that's good. Now, goodness as a fruit of the spirit means that we need to be God-like. 25 times in the Bible, goodness is used to describe the moral or ethical character of God. Now, God is good because he is pure, he is holy, he is forgiven, loving, and giving. Now, if you think about this, I'm going to leave you with something real quick with four different points that I need you to just grasp and understand a little bit. I think it will help you a lot. Number one, we need to live a pure life. We need to have purity in our lives. Every morning when you wake up, say a prayer, Lord, help me stay pure. We sing the song here at church, make my heart, make my hands pure and holy for your glory. And I believe that should be something that we, every morning we wake up and we can say that, Lord, help me stay away from anything that can be seen as evil, any kind of sin. And God will help you with that. But we have to make the choice. Now, number two, we need to have forgiveness in our heart. Now, we carry a lot of baggage sometimes, a lot of hurts. But guess what? The only person that that's affecting, that's you. It's not affecting anybody else. It's just getting you down, affecting you. You need to just let it go and forgive those kind of stuff. Now, number three, consistency in our character. Now, what does that mean? That means that we truly need to love people like Jesus loves us. Now, here at City Hope, we always say that we will do anything short of sinning to love on someone or to help someone out. And I guarantee you that will change your life as well. And the last one, number four, is generosity in your giving. We will take your money. Absolutely. Bring it. We will take it. We will use it. But that's not what we're talking about. Yes, we're talking about that. But also, think about your giving, giving your time, giving your talents. There's a lot of stuff to do at the church. There's a lot of stuff to do for the kingdom of God. There's a lot of stuff to do that we can show kindness to other people, to our community, to our city. And guess what? This church is amazing at doing that. And if you want to get plugged in, talk to one of the pastors. They will get you something to do for sure. I guarantee that. Now, we can never be good enough on our own. But through Christ, we can be. Now, as you can see, kindness and goodness are very similar. When you try to be God-like, like God, like we said earlier, and how if you are like he wants you to be by following his examples, trying to be pure, trying to be holy, trying to be forgiving, loving, giving, then at that point, you will also be able to be kind to others in a way much easier way. God bless you guys. Well, guys, I got the fruit of the spirit of faithfulness, and I think this is actually kind of funny because this is a journey I've been on 
for a while with the Lord and understanding God's faithfulness and really functioning in that as well. So I want to dive right in, so get ready for some notes. Um, And my goal is this morning is that we walk out of here really standing and believing in the truth and understanding of God's faithfulness and understanding that we can change and that those around us can be impacted when we truly believe in faithfulness, in God's faithfulness. So look at the definition of faithfulness. It's never changing. It's consistent. It's putting that faith into constant practice, and listen to this, regardless of the extenuating circumstances. And I want, to, I want you to keep that in the forefront of your mind. Regardless of the extenuating circumstances, steady devotion, And I want to back that up with scripture because this is the scripture that I want you to hold on to. When you are facing doubt in God's faithfulness and you are struggling walking in faithfulness, cling on to 2 Timothy 2.13. This is in the message version and it says, if we are faithless, he will still be full of faith for he never wavers in his faithfulness to us. Amen. That's amazing. Because that means that if I mess up or I'm all up in my messiness and I make mistakes as a human, his faithfulness is not going to waver. I love this quote. His faithfulness is not a demonstration of how well you are doing. No, it's a revelation of how completely holy, righteous, kind, and good he is. And listen to this part. He remains faithful even on your most unfaithful day. And we're going to see that as we go into scripture and look at God's faithfulness in his word from the very beginning. It it never wavers in any situation. You look at Adam and Eve in the fall. He was faithful to provide. Even in the fall, he was faithful to be their father, their Abba. Rescuing the Israelites from Egypt. He was faithful to restore. You look at Rahab. She was following a God she barely even knew, but yet he was faithful to restore her, protect her and her family. And then you look at Mary and Joseph. And he was faithful to provide the Messiah. And now we have Jesus. I think the cross is the ultimate picture of faithfulness. You picture his hands being pierced, his feet being pierced, him being mocked and spit on, and being told, get down from the cross if you can, since you're the king of kings. And he sat there on the cross, hung hung on the cross, as he saw our sin, and he was faithful to stick to the calling that God placed on him to walk on this earth. He was faithful to endure all that pain for us so we could know God, so we could find freedom, so we could discover our purpose, and so we could make a difference. He stayed faithful. You know, when I was a younger girl, I was from 15 years old, and I've been raised in church. I did all the right things. I went to church every Sunday. I marked all the boxes. I was on the worship team, and I I never got in any really a lot of trouble. 
And then when I was 15 years old, I was um, sexually assaulted by a fellow classmate. And after that, my world completely changed. I I just lost complete faith in God and his faithfulness to protect and his faithfulness to be my father. And I started believing in lies from the enemy that God's not faithful. How could this happen if you serve a faithful God? But here I am today, seven years later, or seven years later from that time. It's been a little bit longer than that, (laughs) y'all. But from 15, from seven years, I was running from the Lord. And let me remind you, you can't run from the Lord as high as you go and as low as you go. He's going to be there. He's faithful to be there. And in those seven years, I can stand here today and say that he was faithful to protect me. Even in that moment of darkness and in that person's sin, he was faithful to be my restorer and my healer. And what was taken away from me, he gave back to me by the power of the cross and because he defeated the grave. I stand in victory. And so I stand on the front line now to tell you today, he is a faithful God. No matter what the enemy has told you today, I am telling you he is faithful. And I believe we can stand in his faithfulness and defeat the enemy and his lies that he has told you. And we can turn it around on him by his word. And you can stand in front of the enemy and say, no, 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 no. His faithfulness never wavers because he is my provider. Because he is my Lord. Because he is my protector. And so I want you to take that lie that you have been believing in where you haven't trusted in God's faithfulness. And I want you to replace it with that scripture. I want you to replace it with his word and the power of his word. And believe today, God, your faithfulness never wavers. Amen. Good morning. My topic is gentleness and self-control. And there are several places in scripture where we can see examples of Jesus demonstrating um, gentleness and self-control. But I want to focus on first, I mean, John chapter 8. Early, on the early morning as Jesus taught in the temple, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman to him that was caught in the act of adultery. The scripture says that they came early in the morning with the woman as Jesus was teaching. They must have been planning to tempt him all night because they came so early in the morning. And it didn't matter that the woman was not just caught in the very act of adultery, but she was taken by it. She could not break away from it, but they didn't care. Their objective was to tempt Jesus so that they might have a reason to accuse him. And they could not wait to tempt him They could not wait to tempt the Lord, which is evident by the fact that they came early in the morning. In Proverbs 6.16, it says, The wicked do not sleep until they have done something evil. They will not rest until they bring someone down. And that's what they sought to do, is to bring Jesus down. And although their sin, they were taken by their own sin, they wanted to stone her. They wanted to risk her life to accuse Jesus. They did not care what measures they took to tempt him in order to accuse him. But the Lord, knowing their motives, did not lose self-control. At that moment, he stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger. And as he did, they continued to pursue him with questions. 
When they continued asking him questions in self-control, he stood up and asked the one who was out without sin to throw the first stone. When the Lord spoke with gentleness and self-control, the scripture says when they heard him talking, they were convicted by their own conscience and went out one by one from the eldest to the youngest. When they all departed, the Lord lifted himself with the gentleness and asked what happened to her accusers. And the woman said, there was none of them there. And he said to her in gentleness, neither do I accuse you of sin. Now go and sin no more. The woman must have experienced all kinds of emotions that day. She didn't know if she was going to live or die. But the Lord, the giver of life and gentleness, gave her opportunity to live freely without sin and without stoning. When we allow the fruit of the Spirit to operate through us, the Lord gives us wisdom to handle every situation in an appropriate manner. The army of men that came that were so sure left one by one and left Jesus alone. The Lord has all wisdom and understanding in every situation, and he knew that the men were tempting to accuse him, but he refrained from lashing out, as some of us might do. We might have given them a piece of our mind, or we might have ranted at them, but he didn't. He could have called 12 legions of angels, but he didn't. He simply stooped on the ground, and rode on the ground as though he didn't hear them and save that woman's life that day. While there are other examples of the Lord operating in gentleness and self-control, the culmination of it is when he died on the cross for us. Even as he was going to the cross, he spoke to the criminal that was beside him in Luke 23:43 and said, Verily I say unto you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus still going after the one with gentleness. The man was a criminal worthy of punishment. But because the man believed in gentleness, the Lord promised the man he would be with him in paradise. The Lord hung in gentleness and self-control to show his love both for God and for man. He loved God with all of his heart and he loved us as himself. The scripture says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And our Lord loved us and loved the Father so much that he agreed to give his life. He took every step to the cross with self-control and gentleness, never striking out and never presenting an argument. Our Savior's most powerful moment came when he kept silent in the face of his enemies so that he would not give away the plan of the Father to save us. The Bible says that he was like a lamb going to the slaughter. In Acts 8.32, it says he was as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shears, so he opened not his mouth. Before going to the cross, the Lord said in Matthew 22.37-40, through 40, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second one is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. The word hang there is one you is is as one hanging on a cross. So then the Lord hung on the precepts of loving God and loving us. Daily then, in gentleness and self-control, we should pick up our cross and walk and live after our Savior's example. Hey, come on, let's give it up for all six of our speakers who worked so hard this morning. 
They did a great job bringing a message to us about the fruits of the Spirit. And I just want to ask you in this moment to just let's go ahead and bow our head, close our eyes together. And I just want to ask you this question and for you to take a moment to listen is what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What's the Spirit speaking to your heart this morning? From what you've heard, from what they've been speaking about, maybe there was something said and the Holy Spirit's just highlighting that one particular part to you. And I just want to pray for us all today. God, I thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that your word, Lord, that, that it leads us, that it guides and directs us. Lord, and I pray today that as we've heard your word, God, that you would reveal to us, Lord, what you're doing in our lives, what you're doing in our hearts today. God, that you're shaping us, you're molding us. God, you're helping us to become more like you. God, that's the ultimate goal is that we would grow to be more like you as we grow in relationship with you, Jesus. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your power that's at work in this place today. And I just pray over every person today, God, those who may be far from you, Lord, I pray that they'd feel your love, that they'd feel your presence. Maybe as you heard these guys speaking today, like maybe one of the different characteristics of the, or the fruits of the Spirit that they spoke about today stuck out to you. Maybe it's an area you struggle with. And as humans, we all, we all have areas that we struggle with, but it's only by the Spirit that we can grow beyond it. It's only by the Spirit of God. These are the fruits of the Spirit. That mean, meaning they're the results of living in relationship with God. Maybe you'd be here today and you'd say that you're far from God. You don't see maybe any of these things in your life. But you want to step into relationship with Jesus today. You want to bear good fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. You want this to be the fruit of your life, the results of your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You want that to be the result of your life. I want you to know the only way that can happen is through a relationship with Jesus, through a relationship with God, through living by the Spirit, that you would invite His Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, to come and live inside of you, to lead you, to guide you and direct you. And so I want to give you an opportunity today, if you're far from God and you want to step into a relationship with Him today, you want to live by the Spirit. You want to invite the Spirit of God to live in your heart, to live inside of you. I'm not talking about rules. I'm not talking about religion, do's and don'ts. I'm talking about a real life-giving, a vibrant relationship with God where you know Him and He knows you. You can have that. You may have never had that before in your life, but you can have that. and You can begin it today. And so if that's you and you want to begin a relationship with Jesus today, on the count of three, I want to ask you to just lift your hand. If that's you, one, two, three, I'm going all in today. I'm giving my life to Christ. I want to step into relationship with him today. Awesome. Thank you. Hey, I'm going to lead us all in a prayer together. And I just want to invite us all to pray this. Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender all. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, to come into my heart, live inside of me. Let your spirit live in my heart. 
I want to follow you. I want to know you. I want a relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, church, let's give it up for Jesus, how he's moving, how he's working in your lives today. And I just want to remind you about the connection card that I mentioned to you at the beginning of the service. If you made a decision to give your life to Christ today, on the card is a place that says, my decision today. Would you just let us know what your decision was today by checking the box that applies? Um, If you could just do me a favor and do that, that would greatly help us out because we want to be able to celebrate what God's doing in your life. And we want to be able to pray for you. We want to help you take the next steps so that you can grow the relationship that you just began today. And so our team has put together this resource. It's called a Next Steps box. Inside this are resources to help you grow in your relationship with God. We're really all on the same journey. It's a journey of a a vibrant, life-giving relationship with God. We're all trying to know God deeper and better. And and we're all on that same journey. But if you're a new believer or if you just gave your life to Christ today, get one of these and it'll help you nurture that newfound relationship with Jesus. You can pick this up in the lobby at our next steps table as you leave today. And so as we get ready to worship the Lord uh, in our giving today, I just want to take a moment to Uh, One, I want to say thank you for being such a generous church, but also just in light of the tragic events that happened in Uvalde, Texas, um, with with everything that's been taking place there, the the tragic events. I just want to let you know that over this past week, our team has been in contact with people in the community, with police there, churches there, and we've partnered with a church organization there. There's a lot of things taking place there, and so there's first responders on the ground right now. They've actually got campgrounds for them, but we've been able, on on your behalf, you're such a generous church, and so because of your giving, because of your generosity, we've been able to send a generous gift that way just to help with everything that the families are facing. Obviously, we can't change the, the tragedy and the suffering that's going on right now, but we can do our part to help and make a difference to serve those who are serving them so we've partnered with the churches and the first responders there first responders there we've sent a gift to to just help out with everything that's going on i just wanted to let you know that we were able to do that this week as a church and so your your giving is making a difference we're putting it to work um as i'm going to get ready to pray and we always pray together at the end of the service, but at the beginning of this prayer, I'd like for us to just, as the church together, could we just lift up those people uh, that who are just going through such a hard time right now, those families, uh, just the, the whole community. In fact, the churches that we've been in touch with, they some of the children there um, were a part of their church. And so we want to lift up the, the body of Christ, the big C church. We want to lift them up. Um, it's family. We're all on the same side. And so we want to pray for them today. And at the end of the service, like always, if you need prayer for anything whatsoever at all, our team will be up here, our prayer team. You can make your way down during this last song uh, to get prayer for what you may need. So let's pray together. God, we just come before you today and we say thank you that we get to be here, that we get to worship you. And Lord, um, just We want to lift up the community of Uvalde, Texas, God. We want to lift up the churches there who are serving, the first responders who are serving, God. And Lord, we just want to pray for peace for those families. Peace, God, 
for for the community and the community leaders and the pastors and the churches and the first responders God Lord I pray for the peace of God that passes all understanding to guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus Lord we pray that your spirit that your power your presence would be with them would cover them and surround them Lord so we lift them up to you today God and we just say thank you Lord that we're able to make a difference Lord that we're able to serve others God and so we we give today out of a place of worship to you because we want to love the world and we want to make a difference in the world around us so we say this all the precious the powerful the mighty name jesus christ our lord and savior amen amen come on church let's all stand together and worship and if you need prayer you can move down now
sing it again. Man. 